This is Dove Tuzman and you're on equal footing. We're in a little bit of a different time slot tonight. First time ever. We're not 7 to 8 p.m., but 9 to 10 p.m. And we're at this later slot tonight, Eastern Time, because the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur just ended at sundown. I think it was 7.43 or something like that here on the East Coast. And we needed to give ourselves a little bit more time to get set up and get to the studio tonight. Yom Kippur is often referred to in the Jewish calendar, calendar as the, the Shabbaton, the top, the top holiday, the top, the kind of Shabbats of Shabbats, the, not only is it a holy day, Yom Tov, but it's, uh, it's, it's special, it has features of, of no other holiday. Uh, I know we have a lot of listeners that are non-Jewish. We also have a lot of Jewish listeners that are not necessarily that quote unquote observant, and I thought we would talk a little bit about Yom Kippur and its meaning tonight, but also I will open up about my experience uh, between the last time we had our show last Thursday night and tonight. My life is completely different. I mean, radically different. There's been an, an extraordinary miracle in my life. And so tonight's Yom Kippur themed show is not just about the celebration of Yom Kippur, the honoring of Yom Kippur, but also making space for miracles in our in our life. We have a wonderful guest who's gonna I'm gonna keep as a a surprise for for the moment where I'll introduce him shortly as he as he comes on the show with us. Someone that is a mentor and a teacher for me, a dear friend and and amazing that over all the time doing these shows over the years he's never been on. So this is also a very special experience for me. Okay. Before we have him on, because he's got the the depth of experience to walk through Yom Kippur and its myriad meanings, let me give a very high level on Yom Kippur in my own layman's uh, manner and then open up about this miracle that has occurred in my life and hopefully also encourage others to share their experiences of Yom Kippur and miracles in theirs. Okay. So, the number to call in and participate tonight, jot it down, it's 718-303-9090. Again, you can call in and participate in this conversation on making space for miracles and the meaning of Yom Kippur at 718-303-9090. And you also can text a question or comment to 917 917- Four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. And when you call in or when you text in a question or WhatsApp in a question or comment, you can do so anonymously. You don't have to mention your name, or of course you can if you'd like. Okay. So first of all, and I'm I'm I am looking forward to getting corrected by uh, callers who are who call in with their own definition of what. Yom Kippur uh, is. So first, Yom Kippur is the end of the 10 days of our New Year period in Judaism, the 10 days of penitence or repentance. And it's literally the Day of Atonement. 
that Yom Kippur in Hebrew is the Day of Atonement. It's the most solemn religious day in the Jewish year. And it is, in a sense, the Jewish New Year began in Rosh Hashanah just 10 days ago, but in another sense it begins today. And the reason for that is that it's said that today we are each inscribed, we're sealed in, if we're lucky, into this, into the book of life for the coming year. And so during these days of awe, these days of penitence between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we would often greet people in, in a, with traditional greetings in Hebrew and even in Yiddish, uh, hoping that people will be inscribed in the book of life. But today we hope that they have been sealed. We hope, we've been, we hope that we have been sealed in the book of life. There are several uh, things that we do on, on Yom Kippur that have to do with this culmination of uh, penitence. One is we we go through a ritualistic prayer that occurs a number of times. I think it's five times, if I'm not mistaken, across the holiday of Al-Hayt. And it's it's on the heart, literally. It's a, uh, we put our fist on our heart and we go through all the ways as we, as we kind of pound our chest, uh, go through all the ways that we have sinned, that we have transgressed in this past year, that we've transgressed, uh, against God and as, or maybe more importantly, as we've transgressed around our fellow, to our, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters. And, you know, the, 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 the rabbi who's I'm about to, to welcome on the show explained today in a, in a sermon of our Torah that I heard from him about the meaning of al-hikt, the meaning that why we touch our heart, why we pound our hearts, and it's not to, uh, hurt ourselves, but we pound ourselves on the chest, on the, our right hand on our heart during that, that prayer to symbolize also that many of these sins, many of these transgressions also are filtered through passion filtered through the heart, things that we didn't mean to say that hurt people, things that we didn't mean to do that hurt people. Uh, both our higher being and our lower self often flow through emotions. So now with that, I want to now open it up for a much more uh, erudite uh, perspective and welcome on to Equal Footing my dear friend, mentor, and teacher, Rabbi Yaakov Bankhalter. And Rabbi Yaakov is like a brother to me. I was saying before you got on the, on the show, Rabbi, that I'm amazed I've been doing this, this show for so long and you've never been on because it's, it's always been a hope of mine to, to have you on. And I want to introduce you for a moment to our listeners because you are a different sort of rabbi. And we've had a lot of rabbis in this show. We've had also priests and friars and Buddhist monks and so forth. But we've never had a Rabbi Yaakov. And that's because your your own life experience is one of return. In Judaism we call it Baal Shuvah, kind of a master of the return. And in this sense, it's that Rabbi Yaakov grew up in a secular family. He was joking in his sermon today that he grew up in a Jewish family, but also, you know, they'd go out and celebrate sometimes by eating, you know, lobster. And I know you've given sermons, Rabbi, about having cheeseburgers in your early life. 
you know, to, to I've heard you say that to Judaism, the Judaism to you, it at, at times felt more like membership in a country club, where one's status was based on the size of the bar mitzvah. It wasn't something of deep spiritual essence to you, in your own words, as you were growing up. It didn't seem inspiring. And at that time, Rabbi Yaakov, as I know you, as my brother, as Rabbi Yaakov, you were known as Jerry then. And it wasn't until your junior year at Ohio State University, when, by the way, you were living it up as a member of a fraternity and you were bartending for party cash and so forth, that you were approached by a local Chabad emissary, a local Lubavitcher rabbi on campus named Arya Kaltman. And that Rabbi Kaltman asked you, you as Jerry at the time, are you Jewish? And I love the story hearing that you, you wanted to say no. You probably wanted to avoid a moment of embarrassment or having to engage with this rabbi on campus, but you couldn't. And so you, you told him the truth. And that's how your journey began from the Dolce Vita of dorm life to becoming a regular fixture in Rabbi Kaltman's classes. And ultimately, Jerry, you started to become more like Yaakov instead of attending Ohio State Buckeye football games on Saturday mornings, you were helping Rabbi Arya Kaltman make a minyan, make a, a group of ten for prayer. And you went on your own journey of self-sacrifice and learning. You now have nine kids. You're an emissary shliach, an emissary rabbi in downtown Manhattan. Rabbi Yaakov, I have the great pleasure uh, of having you in my life, looking to you for guidance. And I'm hoping that in this short 50 minutes that remain, some of our listeners can feel how and why you are so special. And Rabbi, thank you as well for joining this show on Making Space for Miracles, this Yom Kippur show, themed show, right after having gone through a 24 or 25 hour fast, having probably spoken seven or eight hours in sermons and prayer services without drinking a sip of water. You must be exhausted. And I'm so grateful for you to be on. Actually, I'm exhausted now because I just ate so much. <laughs> I think I'm more exhausted from the eating than I am from the fasting. But yes, um, Yom Kippur, when you're talking all the time, makes you much thirstier. So no matter how much water you drink before the holiday, when you spend the whole day talking, you know, talking it up, it definitely makes uh, the, uh, the the need for uh, for uh, for water much much more so than than if you just you know onto yourself. But anyway, thank I you. hope you've stated oh, your thirst. I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you you got the details of the story pretty correct. You know, you remember the name of my rabbi, my exact details of how things happened. So um, I'm impressed that you. Uh, I guess you've heard my story over and over again of all the shopping tables. So, you know, maybe that's what they did it. What did I miss in you being a Balshuva? And, and did I get that right? The meaning of, of Balshuva. How, exactly. how are you different than your average rabbi? So first of all, you know the word balchuva today um, is you could say is used more as a term. The modern day balchuva is the person who grew up in a non-religious home who became observant and now today leads an observant life. You know, in the actual Talmudic terms, it meant someone who's like you said a master of chuva. You know, so today people who are balchuva, it's more of a, a term to describe. You know, it's not in actual. I can't say that I've done tshuva for every single thing in my life according to the exact way it's described in the laws of tshuva, the, the, the Rambam. But in, in the terms of the movement, let's say, that started 
uh, you know, let's say in more modern day terms, probably in the 1960s and 70s, where young people were kind of like embracing their Jewish roots and going to yeshivas. Uh, that's, that's, you know, which is really what, the, what they call the Baal Shuva movement. Um, that's, you know, I definitely was part of that. My time was in more in the early 90s, 1990s, when I, in like, like you mentioned, my junior year of college, and then went on to, after I finished college, and I went to yeshiva. Uh, I guess you captured the general ideas of the story, like, like many people, you know, like many thousands of, hundreds of thousands of Baal in all walks of life, whether through Chabad, whether through other Orthodox Jewish institutions, often found themselves at, at any stage of life, but definitely younger people are always more open to change because it's more possible for them. I was at a point in my life where, you know, I didn't have a lot of commitments. I didn't have a, didn't have, wasn't married, didn't have kids, didn't, wasn't set on my career yet. I was in between going to college, going to law school. So I was able to make a move. It was easier to become a Baltruva, so to speak. And then when you're younger, also you're open-minded to change and thinking about life and thinking about the meaning of life. And I was at a stage of a point in my life when I was at point in college where I was thinking, although I did have a, uh, my background in Judaism was part of my process. You know, I, did, I wasn't in a home where we were Shabbos observant or kosher, but you know, I went. I did go to a Jewish day school growing up. That was a very positive experience. It was a great school called Brandeis Day School, which was conservative in terms of in terms of its religious, you know, uh, how we label it um, in in Lawrence, in the five towns. I grew up in the Five Towns area in Lawrence. It was not like it is today. You know, I grew up in the 1970s and 80s when when um, Lawrence was a very um, Jewish, but not by any means a from Orthodox uh, community. Rabbi, one they of the things one of the things that you're uh, so uh, good at and, and known for is connecting because of that background to people that didn't grow up uh, religiously. Yeah. And in fact, even to people. That, that are not Jewish. I love the way you're able to communicate across any kind of demographic yeah. and, and, and background. So as we were opening the show, I was talking about the fact that uh, we have a lot of you know, secular Jewish listeners we, have, listeners, we have a lot of non-Jewish listeners, and I tried to explain a little bit about what Yom Kippur was about. And we talked about this period of repentance and being sealed in, in the Book of Life. For someone that's not Jewish, or someone that is... Uh, Jewish by blood, but but very secular, not really observant. Uh, what just happened? What, what was important, and what is this? What, why should it matter to someone who's not who wasn't just in in uh, in a synagogue, you know, swaying and praying like like you and I were near the end of the day today? Does this matter? Or is this just another Thursday? No, it definitely it's it's. You know, every, whatever day you're in is always the most important day of the year. But if you were to look at the year without being in a day and say what day is the most important day in Judaism, it's definitely Yom Kippur. It's, it's, it's a very, uh, holy day. It's a very special day. But I would, I always, when I look at it from its essence, I always say it doesn't mean it's a very religious day because religious connotes a certain sect of people, you know, that are, you know, living you know, uh, religious neighborhoods, enclaves of in Williamsburg and Crown Heights and Flatbush, and, 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 and you know, the term religious kind of is not fair to everyone else. And I think that the greatest story that really defines Jump Kippur, or one of the great stories, is, is Sandy Koufax. You know, everyone, every, the, everybody the knows Dodgers, about Sandy uh, Koufax. baseball pitcher. Yeah, 
right. Hall of Fame pitcher. And I, always, and I always point out about Sandy Koufax was the miracle wasn't that he, that he wouldn't play in Yom Kippur. The miracle was that a non-religious Jew wouldn't play on Yom Kippur. That, to me, was the most incredible part of the story. He, he, the, the, the stories he, he refused to play even in the Major League Baseball World Series because it fell on, on Yom Kippur. Correct. Now, once again, it's one thing when you take a religious guy. Let's say that, you know, they had, they, uh, I heard that recently there's some two new uh, religious players that just entered the Major League Baseball this past year. Uh, from Orthodox homes. I don't know if you heard about that. And, uh, you know, if, if they get past, you know, the minor leagues to make it to the pros, then I can play on Shabbos. But, you know, that'd be a nice story, but it, it's not like it'll make, it's not Sandy Koufax. Right, you'd expect, you'd expect that from them. Correct. Sandy Koufax, I don't even know if he was fasting in Yom Kippur. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he was fasting in Yom Kippur. So, what, what the, what the, um, I think the the incredible part of the story, which is why Yom Kippur is relevant for everyone, I mean, especially Jews who are not observant, is because it, Yom Kippur touches not just the religious Jews in in religious communities like other holidays. You know, Purim is a is a you know it's a nice holiday, and people observe it. But for the most part, it's a religious holiday for religious people who celebrate Purim. It's like a so joyous it holiday way, that's often seen as almost like a a sister holiday to Yom Kippur, <laughs> like the, which is it such is. a solemn holiday. But be honest, as a rabbi, I have to drag people to my synagogue on, on Purim, <laughs> even though even though it's a party, it's a party and it's food. The one day a year, where I, don't, I don't give you any food unless you stay at the end. You know, uh, you don't even have to drag people; you just put it out there, and people come as Yom Kippur. It's like the Sandy Koufax story. Why? Why did Sandy Kovac choose not to play the World Series? It wasn't even, it wasn't even just a, a game. You know, uh, he was a Dodger. I'm not sure back then the, the, who their the rivals were back then. You could say maybe even a rivalry game, a regular season game. We're talking about a World Series of a man who played on Shabbos, not a, a, was definitely not an Orthodox Jew, and as far as I know, I don't even know if he was fasting Yom Kippur, but he just couldn't play it for him. There was something deeper in his psyche, and as a rabbi, I'll call it the soul, that just said, no, you just can't do this. It just is something more important than the World Series that you have to stand up for. So I think Yom Kippur is that day where there's something going on inside the psyche of every, every Jew that just says, I can't, I just... Just can't do it. And we all have that 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 element within us that opens us up Correct. to to uh, the moment. It opens us up to miracles. We're going to take our first break. And Rabbi, when we come back, I want you to help connect for us the Yom Kippur and miracles. It's a historic connection between this concept and Jewish thought of this sure. holiday and and miracles. And also, we're going to do what we've started to do on this show, kind of a lightning round. We're going to fire to some basic questions on Yom Kippur and demystify some of the traditions. So we'll be, we'll be right back with Rabbi Yaakov Bankhalter on Equal Footing on our Yom Kippur show.
great Barbara Streisand rendition of Avinu Malkenu, one of the songs that we do on Yom Kippur as a, as a shared uh, prayer experience as a congregation. Let's hear from one of our sponsors. I want to thank DocuVax, been with us since the beginning here at Equal Footing. And DocuVax is a very simple, easy-to-use digital medical locker. It works on your laptop or your uh, smartphone. It's on the Apple and Android app stores. And it's a HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility that allows you to safely store and validate all of your basic medical information, your vaccine records, lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. So gone are the days of losing time tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider or in your insurance company. The DocuVax system, and that's spelled D-O-C-U-V-A-X, it covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile from COVID vaccines to flu and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, even to blood type and allergy information. So get it all in one place. Get it organized. Get it validated. Sign up. Go to DocuVax.com or call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. And as little, for as little as $6.99 per month, DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their medical records from your digital wallet. And also, medical professionals are on call for you 24 hours a day. That's the best part. Any day of the year, 24 hours a day, you can validate your vaccine records, your blood test results, or anything else in your medical locker. You can provide it to a school, a restaurant, a gym, a, a, a concert venue, anywhere you may need to do that. And you do it on your own terms. You don't have to do it through a government system. DocuVax medical data is never accessible to anybody but you as the individual subscriber. And you share it by using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure. So put an end to worrying if you or someone else you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or important preventative screening. Take control of your medical life. Sign up at docuvax.com or call 833-859-1933. There are group discounts available if you're a small and medium-sized business owner and you want to sponsor a number of folks to be able to join. That's 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been caught. Right, you're back on equal footing. This is our Yom Kippur show, Making Space for Miracles. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm joined by my friend, mentor, teacher, Rabbi Yaakov Bankhalter, gracious to have joined us after 24 hours of sermonizing and leading, leading prayers. Rabbi, before we go into our lightning round of all these little things around Yom Kippur that I've always wanted to ask, like about the scapegoat and about the, the five rules and so forth, help, help us connect Miracles in Yom Kippur, because on the one hand, we're brought up as Jews, uh, kind of, uh, maybe I'm going to not say this politically correct, in a politically correct fashion, but almost a little bit dubious of miracles. I mean, miracles are kind of a Christian thing, There's a lot of miracles mentioned. Yes, of course there are miracles in, in the Bible and so forth, but kind of taught miracles are not in the current age. Those were in, in, in biblical times. On the other hand, miracles are deeply entwined. Uh, intertwined to the concept of Yom Kippur. First of all, as Jews, do we believe in miracles, and what's the connection between Yom Kippur and miracles? Uh, 
um, for sure, um, we definitely believe in miracles. But there, I would say that um, our, our teachings, especially as outlined in the inner teachings of Torah known as Hasidus, there are different types of miracles. So, for example, there's often um, there's you know, kind of three ways of looking at a miracle. A miracle, really, you could say, is God's providence as or God's relationship with nature. But there's sometimes when God is outwardly just pushes aside nature and just outwardly makes a miracle that you cannot deny. Um, example of that would be splitting of the Red Sea or, you know, the story of Hanukkah where it just is, uh, it clearly was, so to speak, miraculous, meaning the hand of God. Then there are miracles which are um, definitely, like, beyond nature, but they're somehow within nature, meaning to say, uh, you know, like the, the Purim story, where just so much, so many things happened that were just so coincidental that you must admit that God was behind the scenes, but yet everything can be explained with the nature, you know. But still, the fact that this happened and this happened, there was just too much coincidence just to say that it just happened on its own. That's one, that's the second kind of miracle, then there's what's called nature, where you don't see God whatsoever. Right, the miracle, the miracle of being born, the miracle of the sun. Exactly. Someone coming up every morning, going down every night. The miracle of the human body, how science works. So everything works in an order. We forget, just take for granted how our body works, how science works, how the world works. So every, that so many that reminds me of the, of the quote by a, a, a Jew who is kind of agnostic. Some would say an atheist. Certainly some of his writings, Albert Einstein, who said there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is, is as though everything is a miracle. So it's like the, the miracle of daily life. So all three are miracles. And to a certain degree, you could argue which one is a bigger miracle. Many people would say nature is a bigger miracle. For God to, to, so to speak, push aside the laws of nature is not necessarily harder for God than is nature. Nature, if anything, is, 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 is the most miraculous. So I guess certain holidays emphasize you know, one type of miracle, you know, and others emphasize other types of miracles. Yom Kippur, I would say, it's, it, it's, a, it's definitely not, it's not the holiday about remembering the miracle that God performed for us, you know, like the story of Hanukkah, or like the story of, or even the story of Purim. Yom Kippur is more about, the, I think, I would say it's more about the miracle of the human existence, the human soul. Right. And this particular Yom Kippur, probably like 20 years ago, I, I was I was heavily thinking about September 11th. I, I, I all my almost all my sermons I couldn't I couldn't stop but mention something you know I read that I heard that I saw online. There was so much information. I mean, there's more information, clearly more information now with with the internet, um, the way it is now, comparison to what it was 20 years ago about what happened, about how it happened, about this story, about this individual, this individual. And the miracle stories of September 11th were the people that just acted in a way where, uh, I'm sorry, I mean, they, they revealed the miracle of the human soul. Those, those stories of those people who refused to, to think about their own safety because they had to stay with someone on the staircase who couldn't walk any further. And they end up perishing with that person because they refuse to leave them alone. There are numerous stories like that. Yeah. I mean, where, how would a human being 
where would they find that ability to not want to live? To one of their own survival, as much you know, what do they gain from staying with that person on this circuit? All the people that that gave up their lives to save others—that was that is a that's, that's I would say that's the Yom Kippur miracle. That's and especially because you know it happened around this time of year. It's a miracle of the human spirit because in that moment, that person recognizes there's something more important than just my basic human existence. There's something more real. There's something. That's greater. There's something more profound. So and for those people, sorry, go, go I ahead. think that's a miracle. Yeah, so that's let's, miraculous. Let's get into use that as a segue. We're going to split up our little lightning round for you, Rabbi, for yeah. before and after our next our next break. Yeah. Um, so on the theme of miracles, the Haftorah or this this a companion scripture that we read during yeah, Yom Kippur, yeah. is the story of Jonah and the whale. And whether you're Jewish or not, yeah. most people know that story. Uh, Jonah yeah. is, is you know, kind of called to God to do to do something related to this city. He kind of doesn't want to. He runs. He gets on a boat. The sea is choppy. They throw him overboard because they think God is mad at him, which yeah. it seems he might be. Then he's God assigns this whale. He's in the belly of the whale for three days. It's a miracle. It's a miracle he survives. The whole story is, is, is miraculous. Yeah. However, I have to admit, embarrassingly, here on the air, I've never quite gotten it. I don't quite understand the <laughs> meaning of that story. So, again, this is a lightning round. Give us the you know, couple sentences. What is the meaning of the story of Jonah and the whale that we read on Yom Kippur? Well, it's about Chuva. It, it was about uh, this place called Ninveh, where he was meant to bring the people to Chuva, um, which is... Um, Chuva, going, going back to the idea of a miracle, is, is you know... God created, God gave us commandments to keep, but our connection to God is greater than just his desire for us to keep the commandments, which is why he also created the commandment of Teshuvah. Teshuvah shows a greater connection than just uh, the need that God has for us in creation. Uh, For example, like, you know, a parent and child. So Teshuvah is returning. How is Jonah returning? Well, um, his his job was to the people of the island. This, this people, this place in Nineveh, needed to ex- go through an experience of teshuva. Of they themselves needed to be brought up uh, to to um, to out of their negative places, which they were. And Jonah was sent there to bring them to teshuva, which they did. Um, so, so, but the, 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 the teshuva shows a more profound connection that we have, which is greater than our, you know, than, than our, just that, you know, when you, than that simplistic need. On one hand, God says, do this, but on the other hand, God says, if you, we'll also give him it, but if you don't do this, you have tshuva. So tshuva shows a, more of a, 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 a beyond nature, an, a, a, an unnatural connection that we have. Jonah was there meant to reveal that that connection, which is greater than the natural way that we connect, like a parent and a child, even a child goes beyond his, you know, goes on his own ways, which is why not what the parent wants. But the parent knows that I love you regardless of what you do. My connection to you is beyond, I want you to live a good life, but my connection to you is, is more important than what you, but than your choices. And by revealing that, Reveal, we, you know, that, that reveals that, that inner 
more profound connection, which is miraculous, more beyond our natural connection to God. So let's talk about another, what seem like kind of unnatural things. Quickly, this lightning round, then we'll go to a break. Let's talk about two animal rituals that have to do with Yom Kippur. One is the concept of a scapegoat, which is an idiomatic expression that's made its way into general culture. And as I understand it, it's this concept of the high priest being instructed on Yom Kippur to lay his hands upon a goat while confessing the sins of the entire community because it's individuals. We talked about that before we got on, Rabbi. We do the the confession, the pounding of the chest and the confession of our sins on Yom Kippur. And then this goat is thrown off of a cliff. So it's like it kind of... All the sins seem to like go in, inside of this one being, and then that being a sacrifice. This seems pretty archaic in 2021. Did I get it right? And is there a mystical meaning of the scapegoat that is important for us to understand? I mean, definitely got it right. It is archaic. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, listen. It's not just in, in Jewish. It's also religion. ironic because Jews have historically yeah. often been scapegoats. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, when people ask, you know, when people ask me questions about Jewish ritual that seems like outdated, I say, you know, a hundred years ago here in New York City, they used to have public hangings, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago in New Square, they would, they would just literally hang people in front of, in front of uh, the community. It's not just, you know, it, obviously as time goes on, human, human beings evolve and, and things change and what was important back then in all communities and all cultures are not as uh, important, or at least there's a, diff- there's a different way that we we go about that. So, I mean, yes, um, the the um, the scapegoat is not, you know, it's definitely not part of Torah society, Jewish society today. Although it is part of Torah, and, and, and it was it was, you know, I guess you could say, is it sad that in, that this creature has to go through this um, on our behalf? And yeah, it's sad. It, it wasn't a celebration. It wasn't as if, oh, wow, we're happy that this animal dies. The opposite. One should feel sad that because of our actions, our deeds, you know, this thing has to suffer. How does, in our times, uh, how does that, that play out? It plays out, you know, in many things in their own lives that we see there's, there's, there's suffering in the world, that there's pain, that there's, you know, that there's, um, that there's disease, that there's sickness, that people that are lonely, are depressed, are, Deprived. It's all as a result of us, not necessarily, I would say, of our sins, but of our, of, a, of a general negativity that surrounds our world today that we strive to overcome. And I think probably a lot of people in their own lives like feel like themselves to be a scapegoat, like they were thrown down a mountain yeah. and made to suffer. And in a sense, and, uh, I may I may not have the correct understanding here, Rabbi, but I think that a lot of us, when we, especially if for folks that only go to, to synagogue. Uh, a few times a year. If you go on Yom Kippur, there is almost a sense in that communal prayer of confessing to sins as if you are kind of that concept of you know, putting the, the, the transgressions and the sins out there. You're like stating them out loud multiple yeah. times. And even though there isn't a goat that's, you know, that the hands, be, there isn't anybody laying hands on a goat and throwing it off a cliff, it does feel like you're putting it out on the table, getting it out into the air so it can be gotten rid of. And I mean, we're going to skip this other question about this, the, the kind of evolution of that ritual, the caparot ritual with the chickens. I was going to ask about that, yeah. but just in the interest of time. One more question before we go on a break about kind of an, our, let's call it archaic, or I believe archaic, Rabbi, uh, outdated Yom Kippur ritual. You know, often on Yom Kippur, we, we wear 
uh, white colors uh, to either symbolize like being feeling like angels, same, same reason we also don't eat, or one of the reasons we don't eat and, and drink. It's like we're almost like non-human, right? we're angelic on on that day. And it also has to do with facing death, the kind of the white uh, death shroud and so forth. But I was, in preparation for the show, also reading that in the Talmud, it states that during this period, um, one can wear white also as a part of like a matchmaking ritual. And that it's an it was a, it was a period of big matchmaking where uh, you you'd uh, single people would set their eyes on each other and kind of give a give a uh, commitment for the for the year ahead. I think given that we don't eat any Yom Kippur or often have a headache, I'm not sure it's the best time for those big decisions. But is this still part of our tradition? Did I get that wrong in the first place? I was no, I was, actually, actually, there is an interesting connection that you just touched on. So there's there's two days of the year that you're supposed to wear white, or there's there's it's spoken about in Torah about wearing white. One is Yom Kippur, the other day is Tuba of the day that which is actually a day of matchmaking, uh, known for being a day of of when when men and women would uh, find each other uh, back in Talmudic times. So, and as a matter of fact, there's a famous mission which says the two most special happenings of the year are. Tuba Shvat and Yom Kippur, so they're connected. Tuba is like the Jewish Valentine's Day, right? <laughs> when, Correct, when, and that's what everyone says. When that's is that for, that for, non, for non-observant uh, listeners who may not know it the is, holiday of Tuba? So it, you, it would take place either in July or, or August. It's always in the summertime. It's six days after Tisha B'av. It's six days after the most saddest day in the Jewish calendar. And it represents kind of like the ascent after the descent, which which what Tishbub represents. But for many numerous reasons that the Talmud outlines, it's considered to be oddly enough a strangely happy day following Tishbub. And there's a connection to Yom Kippur, and some to this day have a custom that, that is uh, to wear white. They are, they, many there are many Jewish single event parties, and you'll see uh, Jewish singles wearing white, and they call it a white party. You know, at, at, on, on tuba. I'm learning on the show. No, but <laughs> but I don't know if Yom Kippur is a day for for meeting people. But you know, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure yeah. it happens. Okay, we're going to come back on equal footing here with my guest Rabbi Yaakov Bankhalter. We're talking about making space for miracles in your life, and about Yom Kippur and how those things tie together. You can participate in the conversation by calling seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's seven one eight. Three zero three nine zero nine zero. We've already got a few texts as well. You can text questions or comments for the rabbi at nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. We'll get to a couple of those text questions and comments after the break for you, Rabbi. We'll be right back. Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. 
You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman, and I'm here with my guest, Rabbi Yaakov Bankhalter, friend, mentor, rabbi, great spiritual teacher. Rabbi, let's get to a couple of questions that have come in by text as part of this lightning round on Yom Kippur. Uh, one person writes that their understanding is that today, Yom Kippur was their last chance to change God's judgment about being written in the Book of Life and to demonstrate repentance and make amends. However, is there any other chance over the next few days because they've heard differently? I have too, Rabbi. I've heard that too. I've heard that today was the last chance and then I've heard that the coming holiday of St. Chastor is the last chance. Is it done? Like, let's say, let's say you're either Jewish, maybe you're even non-Jewish and you wanted to make amends. You wanted to ask people for forgiveness because people ask for forgiveness of others and give forgiveness on this day. But you know what? You had a caffeine headache, or you forgot, or whatever. You have someone who's on a different time zone. Is it too late? Has the book of life closed? I can't imagine that that would be the case. Yes, obviously there is some idea that your Rosh Hashanah, and, and, you know, is defining it before the feeling. But um, I am a Chabad rabbi, and my Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, was the ultimate optimist, and would always find sources. And reasons to always think that there's always a chance. You know, as the lesson we say on, on the second Passover, without going to another holiday right now too deeply, but basically one month after Passover, we recognize that there's always a second chance. I cannot believe that I have more compassion than God. So if, if I have one tiny little drop of ounce of compassion on people, how much more so, how much more so our God who created compassion, who is the essence of compassion, doesn't want us to have an amazing year, and there's always an opportunity to come closer, to do tshuva, to rectify, to fix, even if we don't deserve it. But specifically, there are, compassionate. are there are a couple of holidays kind of connected, right, that follow immediately. There's Sukkot. So you mm-hmm. want to just super quick primer for listeners, because it's almost like an extension, correct, of the New Year period? Correct. Correct. People think it's over on Yom Kippur, but actually continues. We have, first of all, there is an idea that the judgment process continues till, till the end of Sukkot, the day of Hoshana Rabbah, which is the last day of, uh, of Sukkot, which is meant to be also a day of judgment. But those days are focused on joy, so you're judged by how joyful you are or how much you are bringing in joy into your life. So def- definitely there's always, there's always, uh, there's always a contingency plan. There's always, there's always, always, we have to believe that there's, it doesn't just end on Yom Kippur. And I, I would, I repeat this all the time throughout Yom Kippur in the words of the Rebbe, that, you know, Ni'ila is that time of, of the day when it, Ni'ila literally means closing. It's, the doors are closing. The sun is going down. Yom Kippur is ending. And many people will say, oh, the judgment is over. It's clo- the doors are closed. It's over now. But the Rebbe would always say, we are on the inside of the closed doors, not on the outside of the doors. They don't close in front of us. 
they close behind us, meaning to say we are on the inside. So I, I cannot accept the fact that, uh, that that means that it's all over for us now. It's opposite. It's just the beginning. So we have two different listeners that are non-Jewish that have written in about experiences with respect to their own religious congregations and the celebration of Yom Kippur, which I would have been shocked about because these are uh, Christian uh, listeners, except in preparation for this show, I read some stats and people that can, that are consider themselves fundamentalist Christians, over a third of them celebrate in one way or another Yom Kippur. So, and one, one listener wrote actually about, about in her congregation, um, them buying mezuzahs, buying the prayers, traditional, uh, prayer scrolls that are put on the, the doorposts and, and, and within homes of Jewish people. Rabbi, is this is a little bit seems a little weird to me, but is there any precedence for that? Is that okay? I mean, is Yom Kippur limited to Jewish observance? Uh, that's a tough question. I, I wouldn't know if I have enough uh, authority to answer that question. I mean, for what I understand, Yom Kippur is is a Jewish holiday, although it does affect all of humanity because Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur about the day that God created. Adam Arishon, the first human being, which includes everyone. So, you know, I'm sure that there are worse things that someone can do than, than to get spiritual on Yom Kippur and think about tshuva. Even for someone who's not Jewish, I'm sure it, it, it can't hurt, and it's just a nice thing. It, it definitely is a Jewish holiday. Uh, but uh, it seems to it, be popular, it, by the way, in Hollywood. Like I, I was in preparation for the show, I was also like seeing there were interviews with like Mel Gibson and Jennifer Love Hewitt and so forth. There were non-Jewish people talking about funny. their embracing celebration or the honoring of Yom Kippur. I thought you'd find that was funny. Yeah, but, I mean, listen, but, listen. The Jews were given six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs, and and the rest of humanity was given seven laws of Noah, which you know have a lot of details and a lot of a uh, lot of ways that those are expressed, and I think all of humanity, these are laws given to Noah, given to humanity, to keep, to keep a wholesome world of, of that would uh, go in a straightforward path. So I think, you know, for people who are not Jewish, to attach themselves to learn more about the seven, the Noahide laws would always be a positive thing for humanity um, on any day of the year, and I'm sure you can't hurt to emphasize it on Yom, on Yom Kippur. A last, last text question here, and then I want to move to our last segment on on miracles particularly. Yeah. Uh, Wade from Poughkeepsie asks that if on Yom Kippur, is it more important to ask for forgiveness to others or to give forgiveness to others? Which is the more important mitzvah? I'm going to give the Jewish answer and say both. I'm going to say both. I'm, I'm sorry, Wade. I'm sorry that our guest evaded the question. <laughs> How can you do one without the other? I mean, how could you forgive, how could you ask forgiveness but not forgive others? Right. And the same, and, and same, go vice versa. They, they go together. I mean, if the really only way to forgive other people is by learning to uh, ask for forgiveness, but at the same time, to ask for forgiveness means to forgive others. I mean, you know, we we all look. No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes, and we're all just as responsible as everyone else. For And so the more that we internalize that idea, and, we, you know, especially if we hold a grudge against someone or we have some animosity and we, or even not say so intensely, but just we look at other people and say, oh, look what they did. You know, if we would really understand that that person is just, like, just as frail as I am, when it comes to myself, 
I always make excuses why I make mistakes because you know my 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 nature is to sort of see myself in a better light or understand or have compassion on myself what do you expect what with the kind of childhood that I had with what I went through what do you expect of course we should feel the same way about other people we see someone do something wrong separate the action from the person the action is not indicative of the person opposite they did something that was really not what they were it was you know so the more we can do that with other people the more we're justified in asking to forgive this from other people yeah, so that, i think it goes together it's for me because for for me it feels like the get granting forgiveness especially if you kind of go into it not wanting to feels like the harder thing to do <laughs> to ask for forgiveness but it's a it it's is. a great it's a great question way, I, I, I never thought before, about it that way before because it's really yeah. a two-sided thing that we do I always Kippur. start I did, as I did last night in my Yom Kippur service I should start with that I um I my first my first sermon is before we ask God for forgiveness let's everyone right now pick the person in your life that you're most angry at forgive them right now yeah. with the bottom try your best it's not easy go ahead yeah do that's it harder right than now. asking yeah, it is. Well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, come back, and after the break, I'm gonna open up for before we end about my a massive request for forgiveness that I made between this last show and tonight that the rabbi was a part of. We'll be right back for our last segment of making space for miracles, our Yom Kippur show with Rabbi Yaakov Benkolder. Rabbi Bankalter and I are from the same generation, we're virtually the same age. That <laughs> Belinda Carlisle, I'm sure you recognize, Rabbi. All right, let's quickly do a little plug for one of our wonderful sponsors. We couldn't be on the air without our sponsors. Thank you to Manhattan Medical. And Manhattan Medical does something very important that's often difficult for us to talk to, and that is effectively and safely treat erectile dysfunction. Rectal dysfunction affects more than 50% of men at some point in their lifetime, and many people cannot take the traditional remedies that are out there. Those expensive blue pills have side effects that some folks cannot uh, cannot abide due to other uh, comorbidities, comorbidities and circumstances. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new, effective gains wave therapy for erectile dysfunction, and it achieves excellent results it's non-invasive it's surgery free it's pain it's painless and manhattan medical is not just available in the new york area you can call for a teleconsult from anywhere in the united states and if you mention you heard about manhattan medical's gains wave erectile dysfunction treatment on equal footing you get a free consult and that's a 250 dollars value manhattan medical's gains wave therapy can help you doesn't matter your age or circumstance, put an end to the emotional suffering, that quiet suffering that so many people go through when they're experiencing erectile dysfunction or if you're in a relationship where that's being experienced, call Manhattan Medical, 888-EDCURE-9. That's 888-EDCURE-9. Again, you can get a free consultation if you mention that you heard about it on equal footing. And the numbers are 888-332-8739, Manhattan Medical's Erectile Dysfunction Treatment, 888-332-8739. Call now. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on, too. And I've 
You are back on Equal Footing. We're talking about miracles, We're talking about Yom Kippur. I'm here with Rabbi Yaakov Bankhalter. And let's quickly take a caller on line three and then end with a personal story. Caller on line three. Let's see if I can do this. Uh, oh, I, I'm not technically able to do that yet. Okay. Rabbi, many of my listeners know that I've had a multi-year journey uh, through in the criminal justice system. It was related to a, a white-collar conspiracy to commit accounting and securities fraud issue from about uh, six, seven years ago. And it's been uh, a very difficult journey because as part of that process, uh, I ended up un- unfortunately being arrested while I was overseas. And uh, although the government said that that was accidental, uh, whether it was accidental, coincidental, or, or, or purposeful, it did result in ten and a half months of incarceration overseas and some horrible things that happened there. I've been open about that on the show and in other venues. I was physically assaulted, sexually assaulted. I was in a prison in Colombia. I was in. I had been in Colombia uh, visiting a, a hotel project over a weekend in September 2015, right around this time, Rabbi, right before Rosh Hashanah in 2015. And uh, it really altered my life fundamentally. In many ways, I felt it altered my life um, in in terrible ways, and I would never be the same. I would never recuperate. Uh, you, Rabbi, were there even two days after I came back from the United from Columbia to the United States. You've been with me throughout that healing journey. And this past Friday, I had the last hearing in that respect, and I did what was the most difficult and um, direct Teshuva experience that I've had in my life, which was a statement in front of the judge where I took responsibility for what had occurred and I asked for forgiveness and I asked for a second chance and I was given that opportunity. Um, I am now done my legal case. I no longer have to be concerned with respect to uh, incarceration again, God forbid. It was like a massive weight on my shoulders, a cloud over me for um, many, many years. And Rabbi, to me, that felt like uh, a miracle in in court that day. Um, There was extraordinary emotion. And I, as we've discussed, I didn't even feel like the words that I said came out of my brain. They, They really came from my heart. And the night before uh, that hearing, um, I, I called out to you and asked you if you'd be willing to go with me to the Ohel, to, to Rebbe Menachem Schneerson's uh, grave in Cambrai Heights in Queens and pray there. And it was last minute and you have nine kids and you're extremely busy, but you picked up everything and went with me. And at, at the gravesite, you told me to read Psalm 50 because I'm going to my 50th year. And Psalm 50 is the Psalm of Asaph. It's a psalm that really chides us, uh, insists that any confessional that we make to God be completely sincere, be without guile, and the consequences of a false confession to God being um, being horrible, uh, inciting the wrath of God. Even it can be ripped to pieces, physically and metaphor and and spiritually. I took that to heart. Uh, stayed up all night thinking about the way that I was going to approach the judge and ended up deciding to speak to the judge as if I were speaking to God. I just want to say thank you um, to you, Rabbi, for being with me throughout that journey. I want to say thank you to listeners uh, of this show for being with me through this journey. I want to ask for forgiveness, as I did 
in front of the judge because not everyone necessarily would would see that transcript or have listened in, even though it is public information, and say I ask for forgiveness. Even though I hope it's not too late for our last segment because <laughs> the keeper just ended, but I I do ask for forgiveness, but from everybody that I've that I've hurt in this in this life, and I also grant forgiveness to those who have hurt me, Rabbi. I was I just wanted to get that out, so I didn't cry. I wanted to be real quick about it. Um, is there anything? Um, any reflection that you have? You were there. You were there that day in in court last Friday. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. I definitely wanted to mention that. It was for me a tremendous honor to be there. It was it, it was a miracle. I saw a miracle happen. Um, not just because you're my friend, that I was happy that thank God you don't have to ever go back to uh, prison ever again, uh, any kind of prison. Um, it was a miracle. Just, just if I just describe what I saw, what I witnessed, it was more just like I witnessed a miracle. There you were, opening up your guts, opening up your heart. It was an expression of of sincerity that just went beyond, uh, like I said, your heart. It was like came straight from your soul. Everyone in that room felt it. It was clear. It's almost like it was. It was like a physical manifestation of something spiritual. I, I, it just was beyond imagination for everyone in that room. And I'll give two examples of people you clearly who were affected. Number one, the judge. The, I've known, as far as I know, I asked many people since then, professionals, the judge was crying when he, when, when he gave you your sentence, which was, which was the exact words, I cannot put you back in prison. And and he and he was I mean, he had a mask on, so people were like, "Is he crying?" But he clearly was crying. Everyone agreed that he was crying. When does a, a criminal judge cry when he gives out a sentence? So very stern, very objective, and somehow he was emotionally touched. Did he even know why he was crying? Did he know what he was experiencing? Is something permeated that room? And then even more so, who was affected? The prosecution. The prosecution spoke after you. Which normally you would say that's not fair. If you should go, then you should go. But I think it was even better they went after you. He, I saw how he was affected. He spoke for maybe four to five minutes tops. He had nothing to say. He tried his best to be a prosecutor. And by the way, he was a Jewish man. He tried to be a prosecutor. Tried to to, to stay by his stance that you deserve, God forbid, a long jail sentence. But it was like it was clearly lip service. He didn't even mean what he was stumbling on his words. He couldn't even get it out. It was almost like it, it wasn't even, he couldn't, he didn't find it within him even to Rabbi, say it with the same drama that he did. I'm, I'm, sorry, sorry, to go, I'm sorry to interrupt because I know we're going to interrupt on time, but I just wanted to say, because you know, yeah. I have a very secular you know, background in certain regards. I've gone through my journey in the desert, so to speak, as an atheist, and I would, I would say, yeah. make space for miracles. The, 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 I felt it as well. Uh, it felt like a life-saving miracle. I hope to talk about it more in a show in the future. You're such a big yeah. part of this. I want to. I want to thank you, and uh, sure. and, and <laughs> thank you for also finally coming on the show. And thank you for opening up. Thank you. And thank I apologize you. Okay. to those callers on line three and four that we've not been able to get to. We'll get to you next week. Right. And no offense, though, but we're. Uh, uh, let's hope for the Yankees. <laughs> All right. That with that, we'll go. <laughs> Ha ha ha